What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Sound Rundown. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today's April 7th, Thursday. It's the first day of the Masters. You guys are listening to this either Saturday or Sunday or sometime after Saturday. So this is a little bit dated, but it's for good reason because Matt and I are both going to be out of town this weekend. So we're not going to have time to record on Saturday. So that's why we're we're posting on Saturday, but we're, we're recording this a couple of days early. And you guys are going to hear from Bolt Brady in a little bit. He is uh, he's our guest for today, our interviewee, and he's a sports handicapper. And a he also has a sports podcast with his brother, which is kind of cool. It's like it's almost like a little parallel there with with us, you know, the brothers doing the podcast. But yeah, today, other than that, we've got NFL before the interview. And then after the interview, I think we're going to talk a little bit about MLB because Matt's itching to get into MLB talk because today is opening day. So, yeah, so there's that. But Matt's going to give some some MLB lockout news, which is old, but he's going to, I guess, kind of go into how that fed into opening day. And then we're going to have a year wrong man of the week at the end. We've been missing this segment for a pretty long time. So we're going to get one in um, towards the end here. And then, yeah, it'll be a good episode. Matt, how are you? Well, let's first start off with a disclaimer. I am not itching to get to the MLB section. I just wanted to generally mention that it's starting and the season is starting and the lockout is over because we did a lot of content on it and, and then never actually said that the season is starting. So again, I'm not... Baseball is not my favorite sport, probably actually my least favorite sport, but we're here on the sports first down rundown podcast to give you all the sports news. uh, And that's, and that's what we're here to do. So I'm excited to get into everything that we have planned today, um, which includes right an NFL topic. uh, And then Bolt, uh, uh, the interview with Bolt is great. It's it's really good because I, as I've, you know, mentioned on the podcast, like I have my betting locks of the week, right? I talk about kind of, you know, just lines and, and general stuff that when it, pertains to stuff that we're talking about I'll kind of mention the betting aspect behind it but it's really great to have a guy like Bolton to kind of explain the behind the scenes and really hear it from someone who you know is 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 a proven winner and does and you know you know makes his lines makes his bets every single day um and, and so, yeah, so I'm really excited. Definitely if you're into betting or, or even if you're kind of new to it and just want to hear about it, this is a great episode kind of for all, uh, you know, people in, in all different levels of sports betting. Um, and then obviously, you know, we'll get to the MLB section at the end as well as the year wrong man. So, uh, yeah, let's get right into it. As we approach draft season, um, you know, we see a lot of te- a lot of teams trading what seems like very hefty amounts of draft picks in exchange for a veteran or a star player, whatever. So for example, right now teams are practically throwing draft picks at the Seahawks in attempts to get DK Metcalf, their star wide receiver, which makes a little bit of sense, but I think there's a little bit of a, of a common theme with people getting a little bit desensitized to the value of a first round draft pick or to the value of even a third round draft pick, because there's a lot of guys that have come out of college and have, made a very good career in the NFL who aren't first round picks, you know, like we see, we, we think of the first round pick as the way to go. It's, it's almost to the, to the point where it's like a little bit absurd in my opinion. Um, so I, I want to ask Matt here and I, I didn't even introduce him. So I'll, I'll put an intro. I'll put a little introduction to him at the beginning. Um, I'll, you know, cut and paste that there, but Matt, what, you, what side do you take on this phenomenon? Do you, do you think that like knowing what you're getting and a star or a veteran is worth giving away five draft picks, you know, five years in advance? Or do you think that draft picks 
are really valuable? And do you think that pe- teams are really overspending on these veterans and star players? Uh, the first one, I think it's way more valuable to get the players who are already there because we've seen it happen in the past. We actually just saw it this year. Guess who won the Super Bowl? The Los Angeles, Los Angeles Rams. Guess what they did the entire season? Get veterans on one year deal or two year deals very cheaply and give up draft picks for them. Okay. We saw this like literally transform between our eyes before our eyes and I think the funniest part about this is I don't know how much of you guys remember the uh, right after the Super Bowl, um, the GM of the Rams. I completely blank on his name right now, but he he came. He was pretty, you know, he was in the media because at the Rams Super Bowl parade, he literally wore a shirt that said "F them picks," literally meaning like yeah, the draft picks don't matter when you can get proven veteran talent and it worked right it worked now will it work you know will they go back-to-back Super Bowls will they win a Super Bowl in four years when you know Von Miller isn't on the team well he's not on the team anymore but they aren't able to get a guy like Von Miller or OBJ like in the middle of the season maybe not but like you won the Super Bowl in the year that you traded all your draft picks for you know for, for your uh for, for the players that you got who performed at the level they were supposed to get. Matthew Stafford, we talk about it all the time. They traded a ton of draft picks for him. Matthew Stafford's kind of washed, right? He's in Detroit. He isn't doing well, whatever. But here he is, Super Bowl winning quarterback in his first year in L.A. So, like, yes, it's worth it to give up your draft picks. The only part of that that I will kind of push back on a little bit when it comes to draft picks is getting the franchise quarterback. Because I've seen, I think we've seen it a lot recently where – if you are able to find that guy, especially if it's using, you know, a, a top pick on it, it's going to be worth it. Because as we've you know, said time and time again, you know, if you don't have a quarterback, you're not going to be good in the National Football League. So if you can land one of those guys who ends up becoming, you know, a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen, who, you know, were both even later round picks, right? Not even not even like top 10 picks. If you can land one of those guys, then, yes, it's worth it to keep your draft picks. But if you have a quarterback, then you don't need to be using your draft picks on pretty much anything when you have a proven free agent veteran talent who you can trade your draft picks for. And really, this just comes down to simple logistical math, right? DK Metcalf, Hayden mentioned it. Who was picked before DK Metcalf in his draft? It was Nikhil Harry. Who even heard of that? Has has heard of that guy since he? And that's actually the kind of the funniest analogy because he was drafted by the Patriots, and everybody's like, "Oh my gosh, the Patriots drafted a first round wide receiver out of Arizona State. You know, this is going to be an amazing Tom Brady. What's he? Bill Belichick. What's he going to do?" He hasn't caught a single touchdown pass since he's been drafted. How many times have we seen DK Metcalf running down the side of the field with Russell Wilson dropping in the bucket to him? Okay, so like that's the type of stuff we're talking about here where if you can find the talent, that's what matters. And in the draft, a lot of times you're guessing on the talent. You're not finding the talent. You're you have a small percentage chance of the talent being converted into a good NFL player. So all to say, it's it's worth it to trade your draft picks. Now you have to do it smartly, right? You can't just trade your you know the fir- your first round pick for the next eight years, you know, to to just to get an offensive lineman or something, right? It, it has to it has to work out and kind of balance itself out with the talent that you're getting and how much they'll be able to produce in in kind of in contrast to the draft picks you're giving up that you could have used for you know offensive linemen, defensive players, that type of stuff, right? But like when it comes to offensive skill positions specifically. And, and to a certain extent, kind of, you know, defensive line, you know, linebackers and stuff and stuff who, who are going to impact every play. 
it's way more worth it to give up your draft picks for it. And so I kind of understand where Hayden was getting at and he'll, you know, he, he might give an argument for the other side here, but yes, to a certain extent, you can overextend and, and, and give up too many draft picks um, in order to get, you know, kind of, kind of that player, because especially right too, you know, if it doesn't end up working out, then you're kind of all screwed. Right. Um, and so, yes, there does become a point when giving up too many draft picks for someone who's maybe, you know, a little bit, over their, you know, a little bit getting older or, or hasn't proven themselves well enough. But I don't know. I mean, by and large, I definitely side with the, with the argument of kind of signing the proven talent because you don't know who's going to be good just based on one random draft pick. Yeah. I'm going to go against you on this one because again, I'm the one, I'm the one who wrote this topic. So I think there was a little bit of bias even in, in the way that I wrote it there. If you guys can notice that, but yeah. So I wanted to talk about this DK Metcalf thing because it is a little bit interesting. And I was reading a Bleacher Report article the other day in one of my classes, not doing what I'm supposed to be doing in class and just, you know, looking at sports stuff as it should be. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so I, I, I saw this Bleacher Report article and it was basically just going around the NFL and giving teams that are quote unquote interested in DK Metcalf. Now there's been reports since then, since a couple of days ago saying, okay, all the, you know, DK Metcalf is saying that he hasn't gotten a call from any of these teams and that it's all false, whatever. There, there's so many different, you know, contradicting news reports. But what I'm trying to say here is whoever wrote that Bleacher Report article, I forget the name of the person, but they went in depth about all these teams that could give up, you know, the 132nd pick in this year's draft to get, you know, to give for DK Metcalf. But a lot of them included like at least one first round, at least one second round pick, as well as, you know, a fourth round pick or a fifth round pick next year, whatever the case may be. But it was like most of these packages were four or five picks, two of them being in the first and second rounds. In you know, in exchange for DK Metcalf. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, dude, we've seen a couple good seasons out of DK Metcalf. Again, he's had Russell Wilson, who's considered when Russell Wilson's been at the top of his game, he's considered a top five QB. Like that's that's non-negotiable. You can't debate that with me. So my thing is like DK Metcalf has never never really been the water. I mean, yeah, you might put Jalen Ramsey on him. Because he and say, okay, he's the wide receiver one just because of his size. But like, I think Tyler Lockett's played better than he than DK Metcalf has since DK Metcalf got to the Seahawks, right? Like, that's that I don't know. That's that's where I'm looking at it from. And again, like a first round pick and a second round pick, you're looking at two guys for the price of one that could turn that could both turn out to be studs. Again, this is all just what ifs. But what I'm saying is like, if we haven't seen DK Metcalf do really well with Russell Wilson as his quarterback. What is he going to do when he goes to the jets and gets Zach Wilson, who like we think will be good, but we don't even know, you know, it's just like, this is a, it's a little bit confusing to me and I get what Matt's saying. Yes. The Rams are a perfect, perfect example of trading draft picks and being perfectly fine and winning right now. But for a team that's maybe trying to rebuild, which I think they're, there are probably more of those in the NFL right now than there are teams that are like win ready as, you know, as we would say, because a lot of these, you know, a lot of these guys are going to the same team, like the chargers, a lot of stars are going to one team and we're seeing these super teams being built. So it's kind of decreasing the amount of teams that are good. So it's just like you're, de you're decreasing the amount of teams that are good and you're increasing the amount of teams that are quote unquote in the rebuilding phase. 
And then you want to trade a guy like DK Metcalf to one of these teams that's rebuilding and they're giving away like all their draft picks just to, you know, just to have a guy on their team that is a name that we know. And he, you know, he has an eight pack, but like, is he really, you know, is he really going to perform on the field? He hasn't really shown us much with Russell Wilson. So that's where I'm coming from. Again, there there's both arguments and they're, they're both valid in my opinion. One, I think one argument that you could make for the draft side, draft pick side of it, Darius Leonard, who was drafted out of South Carolina state in the second round, he's now the heart and soul of the Colts defense, you know? So it's like one of those draft picks that the Jaguars or the, um, you know, the jets might be giving to the Seahawks in exchange for DK Metcalf. That could be a Darius Leonard out of South Carolina state. You never really know. Right. So it's just that that's the type of thing that I'm looking at. And I'm saying you're, if you're giving away a potential for five guys to become studs, or at least even one or two out of the five guys that you're giving in draft picks to become studs. Why, like, why are you giving that in, in exchange for one player that, is really tall and can run really fast and has extreme athletic ability, but hasn't really shown as much as we would expect out of him on the football field. That's, that's where I'm coming from. And I think that that's a valid point. But again, like, like, like I said, I think Matt also has a really valid point with his um, that he makes again for teams that are kind of at that point and know, okay, we can win now if we, if we trade for, Matthew Stafford and Odell Beckham Jr. and all these, you know, stars in the middle of the, and Von Miller in the middle of the season, right? So it's just like that's where I understand it. But again, like the Rams at this point, they're kind of screwed for like for the next couple of years in terms of draft picks. Like they don't, they're not going to have much talent coming in. So they might even be an example in the future that we've never seen before of a team that's just decimated of draft picks. And you know, what if? And I'm, I, I don't want to say this as I don't want to jinx it, but just as a hypothetical. What if OBJ never comes back from his injury that, that he just had in the Super Bowl? What if he comes back and he doesn't play well? What if Matthew Stafford gets a pretty bad injury and it's just like, and, you know, he's not able to play for much longer? It's just like, then you're just left with no draft picks and you're left with a team that relied on getting veterans that are kind of old on the older side and are susceptible to getting hurt. That's another factor, too. I think a lot of things, a lot of things go into this and I, I wanted to kind of bring it up on this episode just because I think, again, I, I saw this article and it, it was just like, it was just blowing my mind while I was reading it. I just, I didn't know what was going on. And yeah, it was a, it was a little bit weird to see. Yeah. And to some extent, I, I do kind of agree with what you were saying, because you're right. I think we focus on the times when it works out, which is, you know, what happened with the Rams this year. Um, but you have to, yeah, if you're going to be successful with it, you have to do it in the right way. You have to construct the team in a way that, yes, when you're giving up your draft picks, you're still going to have a well-constructed team. And I think that, you know, obviously that the, the Rams did it perfectly. And so that's kind of the ideal situation of it working out. But I do think that, you know, Hayden, you, you have a good point there that like, Right. If you're if you're a mediocre team or even less than that in kind of a rebuilding phase with a young quarterback or whatever, you know, right. Sure. You can trade a bunch to, to get a player who's been pretty consistent. But like, is that going to take your team from having one of the worst records in the NFL to then going to the playoffs? You know, maybe maybe not. So uh, so I, I definitely kind of I understand your argument there, too. All right. Now let's transition into the interview with Bolt Brady. All right, everybody. Today. We are here with Bolt Brady from Bolt Brady and his bro podcast and sports handicapper. We have him on the show today to talk some betting, talk some masters, which is going on right now. 
Um, it's currently Thursday, April 7th. And so it is the first day of the Masters first round. Super pumped up about that. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourself, Bolt. How you doing, Bolt Brady? Uh, I actually have been betting quite a bit on the Masters today. <laughs> nice. No, uh, and yeah, I have a podcast. My brother and I have a podcast. We've been doing it for about three years now. Uh, and it was actually the idea of our mom. Um, she said, you guys should just do a podcast. And we're like, all right, we'll try it out. And then um, started out where there was like, I think the first podcast had like 30 people listening to it. And so, you know, we could account probably 28 of those people. And then it like got up to a hundred and I was like, huh, we maybe know about 50 of those people. And then it kind of took off from there. So we, we kept doing it. Uh, and it's been a lot of fun. That's awesome. How, how long did it take for you to get to that like hundred listener base point? Oh man, probably, uh, I don't know. I'd say probably like within our first four shows, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool too, because I feel like at the point that you were doing it, it was kind of in that place where podcasts were popular, but, but not like, I guess as mainstream as they are now. So I think that kind of to, to branch out into that, into that uh, you know, type of media and, and everything like that, you know, back then to still have kind of a good listener base is, is, is pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, I mean, kind of let's start out with the first, you know, betting related question. Uh, obviously I've talked, uh, you know, a lot about betting on the, on our podcast, a few episodes and, and whatnot, but, uh, but having a, a sports handicapper here to kind of walk us through it is going to be going to be pretty interesting. So um, the first, I just kind of want to start from the very beginning. Like, obviously, I mean, I've been betting for a few years and, and I'm sure, you know, you've, you've done that even longer. So as we know in, in Virginia, I'm not sure, where do you live? Uh, Bolt? I live in Northern California. Gotcha. Okay. So, so we're in Virginia. Um, and so it betting as it was actually legalized, uh, I think last year at some point here. Um, and is it, is it legal in California too, or not yet? No. no. Okay. So that's what I was going to ask is kind okay. of like, how did you get into the space and, and kind of figure out what you were going to do in terms of, you know, kind of, you know, hosting a podcast and a successful one at that, but having it still kind of be in that phase where it wasn't really legal in any states by the point that you guys started? Uh, you know, I don't think the legalization has um, slowed things down very much. I think, you know, more people will get involved, but I mean, people have always been gambling, you know, there's always been bookies or offshores account, you know, accounts that you could get. Uh, and so it's always been, a popular thing around, you know, especially my friends uh, and myself. And then I actually, you know, talking about the podcast, I actually was listening to, to betting podcasts myself. Uh, and so that's where I kind of, you know, was like, well, you know, there are people out there talking about it. Uh, and so that's, that's another reason why we got involved as well. Yeah, that's cool. And, and I think that, I mean, that's pretty much honestly, when I first started listening to podcasts, was listening to betting podcasts, because um, that was kind of when I was first trying to get into it. And I was, you know, look at, you know, look at all the websites and people post their picks online and stuff. But it's like, you know, it's, it's kind of cool to, to hear. I feel like you, a lot of times you got to hear an explanation for something. And, and really, you know, I think kind of the, the passion you can hear behind someone giving the reasoning for, you know, why they're like a team or whatnot, um, is I think just better than just, you know, researching randomly online. Um, so yeah, so that's pretty cool. Hey, you can go ahead and ask the next question. Yeah. So I just, I just wanted to know, you know, like what, 
what differentiates you from the average handicapper? Because, you know, you, you say, I, I think you said that you're in the top 10% of handicappers, um, you know, around the world or, or in the U S or whatever it is. So yeah, just kind of go into that and tell us what separates you from, from the rest of the pack. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So I think you'll find that most handicappers uh, are, are pretty analytical. Uh, they're going to be good at math. A lot of them, quite honestly, didn't even play sports. Uh, and so, and then you'll find that a lot of times the good athletes, like let's say, you know, some of the main media companies uh, like ESPN or Fox sports or whatever, you'll, you'll notice like when they predict, they can't even predict the winner of the game, much less who's going to cover <laughs> the spread, Yeah, you know? And, yeah. and so uh, to answer your question, uh, I think that I, I played, um, through college and, um, actually, I don't know if you guys are familiar with arena football, but I tried out for like arena football. So, uh, we had in college, the San Francisco 49ers, um, a lot of them worked out on our college football field. So I had the opportunity to work out with a lot of those guys. So I was up close. Uh, and so when someone says, oh, this guy is so great, this and that, I think I kind of can take a look at him and be like, they're not that great. You know, I've seen, I've seen the best, you know, I, I've worked out with Jerry Rice. I, I know what the best looks like and these guys aren't that. So I think that's a huge advantage for me. Gotcha. And I mean, that's cool. Having Jerry, I mean, that's, that's something you can kind of carry with you. Tell everybody it's a conversation yeah, starter in and of itself. Right. Um, so you mentioned kind of the math and statistics and that's pretty much kind of where I wanted to dig in a little bit here because, you know, personally, like you said, you're right that a lot of the, a lot of the pro betters out there, they haven't played sports. They just, they love it. And they're honestly just more good at math than they are into sports. And, and, and a lot of what, I mean, you know, just to kind of give like a little bit of educational background from what I understand is, is, essentially what the pro betters do is, is, or these statistical guys, um, you know, they pretty much make their own lines for the games. And then wherever they see discrepancies, they'll take that bet because they think that based on the statistics and numbers that they derive, uh, you know, from making their own line, you know, they have value in taking that bet. So I was going to, and that's again, something that's completely way over my head. I haven't, I've never been able to, to be that good at statistics and, and diving into the algorithms and everything. So, um, so have you, have you kind of ever really, really done that or, or is it just, you know, you're kind of just going on the field the game like you said knowing the players knowing who's good and who's not yeah i i mean i'm pretty good at math but i don't i don't like have algorithms you know to be able to do my hand to do my handicapping with mine's mine's mainly going to be from the eye test uh you know and then also if there's a lot of times there might be an overreaction you know where um the public might be driving the line because they heard there's an injury and they think oh lebron's out you know, now let's take the Hawks because the Hawks are going to play play well because LeBron's out and there can be an overreaction. So a lot of times I look for that stuff as well. Um, but but yeah, a lot of mine is just with the with the eye test. I've been doing this for over 20 years now. Uh, and so, you know, there's certain things that I look for, like especially like with over unders uh, in in all sports. And so um, just my experience and, and watching is where I usually find my upper hand. Yeah. I, I want to see your take on March madness because we had a really crazy, you know, really crazy tournament this past year. Um, and I think there, there was this kind of like 
dynamic between the eye test and statistical advantages and everything during the tournament. Um, and so I, I just want to get your take on like, did Kansas pass the eye test or like which teams, if not Kansas, which teams did pass the eye test in the tournament? Um, you know, which teams were you looking at and, and saying, okay, well, this team has, you know, a, a good chance to make it far, or this team is going to get knocked out like Gonzaga getting knocked out by Arkansas in the, you know, in the sweet 16. Did you see that coming? Because we've actually talked a lot about Gonzaga being like, very fraudulent every single year, even though they get a one seed almost every single year at this point. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah. So do you, you know, do you think that the eye test has a lot to do with the tournament or is that just kind of, um, you know, for other sports, I guess? No, I do. I, I think, you know, I said on our podcast, I like when I fill out the bracket, filling out the bracket is, is super tough, you know? Uh, and I'm not the best at like picking who the national champion is at the beginning of the tournament, but you know, you mentioned Gonzaga. I actually did have them going down against Arkansas on my bracket. My big prediction was um, I didn't think a number one seed was going to win. Um, okay. And you could bet that before the tournament, it was minus 120. Nice. And so that was one of my big bets. And at halftime of the Carolina game, <laughs> I, I was sitting pretty. Yeah. And I was so pissed off that they, uh, <laughs> that they dropped the ball there. Uh, so, you know, March Madness, I usually find, you know, again, there's there's total overreactions um, during March Madness. Like there'll be an upset and then everyone thinks, whoa, you know, um, they're going to be great in their next round because they just upset a team and then they get spanked. You know, they'll be like, oh, they're getting 10 points. I can't believe this. They just upset, you know, whoever the round before. I'm going to take that 10 points and then they get spanked, you know. So there's a lot of overreaction in, in the March Madness. So I'm not great at picking the winner, but I can pick up, you know, once the tournament starts, I, I, I love March Madness. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that that's kind of the other side of what we were talking about a little bit before when it comes to kind of, you know, there is a lot of math involved. You kind of, you know, there's the possibility you can kind of create your own lines and whatever, but I think that's kind of only half of it, right? The other half is knowing the story, knowing the situation. I think a lot of, you know, in podcasts and stuff that I listen to, like situationally is, is or the kind of just, you know, using the phrase situation is, is kind of a big thing in betting because it's true, right? Like, you know, you think about what a team has just gone through in a, in a previous game or whether it be a travel situation or, you know, two games closely, closely related. If, you know, one team has two road games back to back versus two home. So there's a lot, I think, that goes into the situation that I think honestly, probably kind of what you going back to what you're saying before but the eye test is is probably honestly a better indication of what could happen on a on a night-to-night basis than just the statistics because if you follow the numbers you know sure you can you can make your own line but the numbers are only going to take you so far and they're not going to be able to predict like you know this guy just had a you know had a 50 point game last night so he's going to be tired the next night right he's not going to play as well so i think you can really gain an advantage there um Let's go back to, so, you know, I, I was kind of reading into you a little bit and it said that kind of your, your, your main sports uh, you said were, were football, uh, or I guess kind of, you know, one of main sports is football, both NFL and college. Um, talk to me a little bit about, I guess, kind of which one you may prefer or, or how, uh, you know, gambling and handicapping um, kind of differ between the NFL and college. Sure. So uh, I think every, you know, handicapper is going to agree that football is, uh, one of the, well, probably the toughest game to handicap. And the reason for that is because it's the most popular. And because it's the most popular, the most resources go towards that. 
from the sports books and and the guys setting the lines. So those lines are are super super accurate, and you only have like you know, 14 to 16 NFL games on, on a weekend right. where in college you could have well over, you know, 80 games. Right. Yeah. And so um, it's super difficult for them to handicap 80 football games. And so that's where you can get a leg up on, on betting football is looking at the college side of things. Cause there's no way they can handicap all 80 games, you know, the sports books. Um, and so that's the reason why, NFL is, you know, considered the hardest, but obviously it's the most popular too. Yeah. I think that football, like you mentioned, is, is definitely hard because of, you know, because there's so many games, but also I think it's, it, I think it's also hard because like, if you think about it, there's so many different ways to score in football. You know, you, you can score a touchdown <clears throat> and then miss the extra, extra point, or you can score a field goal and get three points. And so that can like really mess with the lines because, you know, if, if a, if a sports book puts a line at like minus three, you know, they can score a touchdown with when they're down by three and then screw that up. And, and, and you know, it kind of like goes both ways. Um, whereas in, you know, NBA or, or any basketball, I guess, really, you can, you know, yes, they score faster, but it's also like you can only score either a two or a three. You can't really, there's not really much in between there. So yeah, that, that's a little bit interesting too. Now I'm, I'm going to try to move over to the masters because a lot sure. of our, I think a lot of our fans, uh, you know, are, are interested in the masters. And honestly, for people that aren't already interested in golf that listen to our podcast, the masters is definitely the, the tournament to watch, to get into golf because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the spectacle. It's, it's the biggest tournament of the year. So um, yeah. So I just want to get your thoughts on like, obviously, you know, day one is almost over here and we know that Sung JM, I think he's still in the lead Sung JM. Um, and, and we know that Tiger, I think is, I think he's even uh, minus one, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Minus one. Yeah. So that's, I think Tiger has kind of taken over most of the news here, but, uh, but yeah, I just want to get your thoughts on who you think is going to be good for, throughout the rest of the tournament. Do you think that Sung JM can kind of, keep that lead or do you think that one of the guys like DJ is going to come up there and, and take the lead? Well, you know, Sanjay, um, actually with cam, um, last year, they both tied for second. So he obviously likes this course. Do I think he'll hold on through the rest of the tournament? No. Uh, I mean, he's got some big names, you know, right behind him, like DJ and, you know, it's only the first day. That's what's crazy about golf is like, you know, sometimes you'll do some of these golf contests and you're like, you're so excited because the first day your team looks good. You know, the five guys that you picked or whatever, and then it can change so quickly. So what I usually do gambling golf is um, after the Friday night's round, doesn't matter if it's, just, if it's the Masters or any golf tournament after Friday night's round is where I'll start to sprinkle a little bit on someone who's going to win the tournament. Uh, very rarely in the masters I do, but like other tournaments, I don't even bother trying to pick the winner, uh, just because it's, it's super difficult. But I think on Friday, I can kind of get a better feel for what's going on. And that's when I'll start to sprinkle a little bit on who I think is going to win from the beginning. I thought Brooks, um, was kind of flying underneath the radar and he started to make a little run here where he was two under, and then he like bogeyed like three times in a row. Yeah. Um, but if Brooks is anywhere close, like after Friday, close being like, you know, really he only needs to be within like five strokes. I, I like Brooks to do well. Uh, it's interesting with Tiger, 
the books, the sports books, um, mo- most people took Tiger, you know, no big shocker there. But I heard someone say that his real odds after this injury should have been like 200 to one. And they had him anywhere from like 85 to like 50 to one. But what he did today was pretty impressive. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think that, I think they even got down to 40 to one at, at most places, which is right. Which is crazy. Cause you think about it last year at Kiowa, when, when Phil Mickelson won the PGA, he was like 200 to one, right. Cause that was coming off of however many bad finishes in a row and, and he pulled it out. So I think that the sports books were honestly just afraid, right. It's like, what if, and we saw Tiger do it in 2019 where he comes off of that, you know, basically two years off and just wins it, you know? So it's like, we've seen that it's possible. Yeah. He has the injuries, but he's won this five times and he knows his way around here. So I think that was almost like a, you know, there was a hedge against kind of the exposure that they had um, to the amount of money that was coming in on Tiger. But no, you, you, you mentioned it kind of in the first, in the first couple, you know, minutes of you talking there, it was, it's like golf is, is so I've actually, I've gotten really into golf for the past year. And especially with betting it, it's, it's completely different than any other sport because you have, yeah, sure. Everybody, everybody knows, you know, you can bet the guy to win the tournament, but like you said, and both, I completely agree with you never bet a guy to win the tournament because there's so it's so random. There's so many things that can happen. You're never, you're going to waste more money, end up wasting more money than, than, than actually winning. And, and it's, it's nice because the odds look good, right? So, you know, you bet, you bet Brooks Kepka to win the masters at like 20 to one or 25 to one. So sure. You throw a couple bucks on it. You, if he wins great, but over time, you're not going to be able, just because of the randomness, you're not going to be able to hit that many. So I, I, have kind of, you know, gotten into creating my own betting card each re- each week of the PGA season. And again, kind of to go back to the, the different ways in which you can bet on golf, it's, it's yes, there's outright winner, but I think where I've seen the most value is the positional prop. So like a top 10, a top 20, as well as matchup, full tournament head-to-head, kind of one golfer to finish in front of the other golfer instead of just, again, like I said, you know, randomly taking some some crazy numbers so how do you do i guess kind of my question is two parts here for first part is do you bet kind of the pga and golf just every every single week because that's something i found myself doing it's, it's so addicting to get into it uh and then second part is kind of how are you going about betting you mentioned it you know kind of after the cut line on friday um are there any other types of bets that you're making on a week-to-week basis when it comes to golf So I do bet golf every weekend and um, you mentioned the head to head and I I think golf is, excuse me, golf and probably college basketball and football, college football are my most profitable where, um, and so I love betting golf and I do it on the matchups, the head to head. So um, I'll do it before the tournament, um, like a little bit like, so this tournament I did Sam Burns against Bryson. And I also did um, Hideki against Bryson because I just didn't think he was going to have a very good tournament. So both of those bets are looking pretty good right now. But then what I love to do, Matt, is the head-to-head each day, right? Yeah, for so, a round matchup, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I can't wait for tonight. They'll come out with the matchups, and then I'll handicap those. And that's that's where, you know, I really, really like to handicap and play the golf. Yeah, because you can you can go based on what you saw, right? I mean, we were just talking about the first round. You kind of see where everybody's lining up, and you can tell which guys are out here to play and which guys are maybe kind of falling apart. Um, and sometimes you can catch the book sleeping a little bit, right? Like if they post a bad line with a matchup, you can take advantage of it based on what you saw go on today uh, during during the round. So I, I definitely like that. I like that angle. I think that's a great that's a great point. 
And you talk about situational, like, like Bryson yeah. again, I, I mean, I'll go against Bryson. I think he was plus four today. I mean, he's out of it. He's yeah. going to, he's going to check out. And if he doesn't get off to a good start tomorrow, you know, he'll just, he'll tell, he'll call up the jet and say, fire it up guys. I'm, <laughs> I'm out of here pretty soon. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bryson doesn't really even know how to play real golf at this point. He just tries to bomb it. And then, you know, any, any tight space on Augusta, he's, he's not going to deal good with. So yeah, that's, that's, that's my take on Bryson. Dude. I, I don't know. I don't know about you, but, uh, but Matt and I are, are a couple of Bryson haters. We don't really, <laughs> we don't really like him that much because he's right. way too cocky. And I don't know, give, give your thoughts on Bryson. What, what do you I, think you know, him? I, I'm indifferent on him, you know, either way. I just, I think he looks so unnatural. Like when he's like <laughs> swings, you know, he yeah. just, he's so stiff and his putting so stiff and everything's so mechanical. Um, you know, he's, he's trying to change something that, you know, like Tiger Woods and, and Jack Nicholas, they, they did fine, you know, hitting the yeah. golf ball the way they, they were. And he's trying to get like all analytical and try to make it different. And it just looks so uncomfortable when he's over the ball. So um, I, when he's like this, I love to bet against him. Yeah. And that was definitely a great call. And I think like my biggest thing is like, he hasn't had that much success. He gets a lot of name recognition because he has a ton of brand deals and, you know, and he, and he does his, he does his TikToks and whatever. And clearly, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's super rich. He has plenty of money, but like, he won the U.S. Open in 2020 when there were no fans and it was at Bay Hill, a course where he just, you know, shot over the trees on every single hole. And so, yeah, he's going to have an advantage there. He is one of the best putters in the world when he's on. But like other you know, Pat, since then, what has he done? He, he hasn't. I think he won one tournament since that since that 2020 Ma or U.S. Open. Right. So, I, yeah. So that's that's kind of my my thought. And it's just like. <laughs> I, I don't see his success continuing. So I'm kind of, you know, I'm glad that you were able to fade him today um, and, and kind of come out of there with, with some, hopefully some positive bets coming out of, coming out of Sunday. Um, I'm going to switch back over. I know we kept kind of going back and forth here, but one thing that caught my attention earlier was when you mentioned public money, right? And this was in regards to kind of the, you know, the, the analytics and statistics versus kind of just the feel and situation. Um, I, it'd be, and that's, I feel like, so kind of the just kind of for the general audience here, um, a good a, a big phrase in, in the betting world is fade the public. Right. Which essentially means that if, a, if the public, if, if you're casual fans who don't have a lot of, you know, who aren't very well versed in the analytics or, or really knowing the sports too well, knowing the players, if they're all betting on one team, usually it's because well, they might be all betting on one team. But the way that Vegas and the sports books set the lines is that essentially, you know, they're covering themselves on the amount of money that's coming in on one team. And so they'll set the line to, a, you know, basically an unfair advantage so that all the people who are betting on that lose. Right. So so I think that that was a really good thing that you brought up there. And so my question kind of is and this goes for all sports, but I think particularly football, because as we talked about, it's the most popular sport to bet on. So. Where do you kind of in your in your feel in your handicapping? How much do you include the the numbers and analytics when it comes to um, you know kind of fading the fading the public money? Yeah, I'll take that into consideration. I you know it's it's one one thing on the checklist that I'll go over and kind of be like, okay, you know where what's the public think about this? Uh, I'll also do a heat check with my friends too. Like if your friends are all like, Oh, the Cowboys are going to crush this week. The Cowboys and like everyone you talk to thinks the Cowboys are going to crush. That's when I'll just be, that's when I'll take the giants that week, literally. <laughs> Cause I'm like, 
if all of my buddies think one way, I go, they're not all going to win. So I'll literally, I'll go the other way. So not only will I like check to see what the public's doing, but I'll check with what my buddies are doing. And if they're all on one side, I, it's literally a no brainer for me. I'll take the other side. And I bet you I win 95% of the time when that happens. Um, I remember, you know, there's a saying, um, like with stocks, it's like, if, if everyone's talking about buying stocks, then it's time to start selling, you know, and it's the same thing with sports. It's the exact same thing. All right. Speaking of, you kind of led me right into this topic, (laughs) but speaking of, I want to, yeah, I want to get your take on why you think that sports betting is better than investing in the stock market, because a lot of people would say differently, you know, obviously short-term money, it makes sense that sports betting would be more advantageous because yeah, I mean, you know, a game lasts a couple hours and you're not going to make money off the stock market in a couple hours. It's going to, you know, take a couple years or so, but what's like, even long-term, I guess you probably think that sports betting is more advantageous. So explain yourself on that, because I think a lot of people would disagree, but I, I, I think that you might have some, you know, you might have some, uh, some, I guess, correctness in that. So go ahead and uh, go ahead and explain. Yeah. Yourself. So, uh, you know, I, I invest in the stock market too. Uh, it's just, you know, if, if for anyone that invests in the stock market, you're sitting there and all of a sudden you're like, why did that just go down 20%? Nothing happened. There was no news. It just went down. Or how about when there is news and see, like, let's say the CEO, the CEO could be going through a brutal divorce with his wife and none of us know a word about it. Right. Yep. Well, in sports, I mean, those guys blow their their nose and we hear about it. They can't yeah. get away with anything. So, like, if there's any problems going on in the locker room, you know, and you could go, ah, you know what? This isn't a good time to bet on the Lakers, right? Um, or, like, remember back a few years ago when the Lakers had some problems with some, um, with some girls? Like, they were all, like, dating some of the same girls yeah. and some of them were getting pissed off and stuff. Yeah. I'm not touching the Lakers when that's going on with a public company. You've got no clue about that stuff. And so the main point being um, Hayden is that uh, you know, a lot more about what's going on inside that organization, you know, that sports team than you ever will with a public trade company. I mean, the only time you find out what's going on is once a quarter when they release their, their numbers, you know, that's it. So, and you could be sitting there, you know, holding the bag when everything starts to come out from underneath the company, where in sports, you know, everything that's going, you know, if they get a DUI, you know, if, you know, they hit their girlfriend. And so if those types of things are happening, then you start to know, well, man, that's a bad locker room right now. And, you know, you might fade them, you know, you might just stay away from them. So that's probably the main reason why is you just have a lot more information on sports up to date information than you do ever would with a public traded company. I completely agree. And, and obviously as I've been doing it for a few years, um, kind of both same, I, I you know, do the, I, I invest in the stock market. I also obviously invest in, in, in sports betting. And it's funny because kind of when I, I started when I was in college a couple of years ago and I, because I was kind of so young, I, I basically had to ask my mom for permission. Right. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I got to, I got to make this really big argument. I got, and eventually I just realized I was like, wait, investing in the stock market to a certain extent is gambling because you don't know what's going to happen. And so that was pretty much my pitch. I was just like, Hey mom, listen to this. I know you're not going to like the idea, but it's, and cause she's super into investing too. Right. And so I was like, I know you're not going to like the idea, but 
Right, exactly what you just said, Bolt. Like, how are you going to know what companies are going to do well if you don't know what's going on inside, you know, with, with the people and the organization stuff involved? So, so I definitely like your argument there, and I, and I think it's I think it's pretty it's pretty solid. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go to kind of now, I guess, kind of it's time to it's time to time to, you know, I guess, put you to the test. So you said you're in the top 10 percent of all sports handicappers. Is there a, a, a way of kind of cal- because and then kind of another you know comment for, for the general public kind of introductions to betting and stuff? Usually when you you know, if, if you're serious about tracking your profits and losses and all that, you'll assign what's called a unit to each bet. Right. So if you're if you're going to make a bet on right, you know, on, on a basketball game, uh, you know, and, and you'll bet one unit on it, whatever that unit is, you can decide how much money that is kind of with your own bankroll and how much you want to be using with betting on sports. Right. So some people's unit is one hundred dollars. Some people use it. Unit is five dollars. Right. So I'm not going to ask you about your unit size to, or, uh, or uh, both because I, I know that you know that's kind of one thing that that you know it's it's, it's a little, little personal but I will ask kind of do you know are you you know in kind of your everyday but like you know you bet on golf you bet on football you bet on basketball all this stuff are you kind of tracking your success and based on your units and your profit and loss and all that or, or how do you you know how do you kind of measure yourself uh, you know long term yeah, good question. So I do track everything. Uh, absolutely. And uh, after each week or two, you know, I'll kind of pull up the numbers and, and review everything. But every single bet that I do, um, I track. And so like right now, I've got over, you know, you talk about the top 10%. Um, I've got I don't know if you guys are familiar with what like makes a good handicapper or not, but uh, if you ask any handicapper, if they can win 55% of their game, that's it. Yep. Right. Right. So, um, and it's funny because I remember a few years ago, one of my buddies was talking to me about, you know, Hey, can I, can I pay you for, for picks? And I was like, sure. So we were talking about it and he's like, you know, what'd you hit last year for the, um, NFL and college football. And I said, 59%, you know, it was a sweet year. And he's like, Oh, that's garbage. And I'm like, (laughs) dude, you have no idea what you're talking about. So, you know, so I'll always send them some articles. If you Google like 55% winning percentage in sports gambling, there's some good articles that talk about, you know, how much money you can make. So I'll usually send that to guys. But so right now I've got over 2,700 games. Um, I'll do a little plug here for him, even though I'm not associated with it. I don't know if you guys, have you guys ever heard of the Action Network? Yeah, I no. actually have the app no. on my phone. Yeah, you can track everything there. It's pretty, pretty cool. It is cool. It is, it, that, that, that's a good company. They've got good articles and stuff. So on that, um, Matt, I've got over 2,700 games, 2,700 games tracked, and I've got a 55% win percentage. Dang, that's sick. That's yeah. Awesome. So, um, <laughs> 2,700 games is quite a bit. And so sometimes people ask me, Hey, how many games do you need to track? Um, before, like, you know, you think it's legitimate. I, and I would say, you know, honestly, probably 500, you know, if someone came to me and they said they had a, a, a 55% win percentage, like at 500, they'd start to catch my attention. I mean, I don't know if you guys are familiar with some of those contests in Vegas, like the super contest or the circa million. Yeah. The Westgate. Yeah. 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 So um, I did that this year and I had a buddy that did it too. And, um, and actually we both, he had, he finished one game higher than me and he's not a handicapper. He started off 19 and six in that thing. Right. And so um, 
we both ended up at 56%, but he beat me by one game. And my point being is he just got an incredibly hot start, you know, and it doesn't mean that, you know, he can do that forever. So I think if you were to track like 500 games, then you'd start to be like, you know, make a name for yourself. But, you know, once you get up into the thousands, then that kind of, you know, proves quite a bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I and I, I think kind of the, the general lesson here, and again, because, you know, people who listen to podcasts, some people probably are used to betting, some people are kind of just new to it. Um, and obviously, you know, right, the stigmatism around sports betting or, you know, any type of gambling in general, is that it's addicting and, and you can lose a lot of money doing it. And so I think that tracking your profits and losses is, is, is really the only way to continuous or be con- completely consistent. Um, you know, sure. You can, you know, you can, you can have, a, like you said, your friend went on a hot streak. You can have a hot streak here and there, but kind of what I was saying, even back to what we were talking about with golf, it's like, if you, if you're just throwing 10 bucks on a game every day, but you're losing all of it, right. Like over time, that's a lot. So I think that really the, the best way to kind of, you know, check yourself and, and, whether you want to track yourself in terms of your percentage as, as, as Bolt's been talking about uh, to kind of gauge how successful you are, or if, you know, right. If it's just kind of a hobby of yours and and you just want to see how you do over time, it's definitely important to just have some sort of tracker. um, And, and because, you know, that's, that's, I think just the best way to, to not only tell how successful you've been, but also obviously, you know, keep track of your bankroll and, and not, uh, not get, not get too deep into it. Um, So, yeah. So I think, that's what I was going to say, not to cut you off, Matt, but you were talking about gambling addictions. No one talks about there being a gambling addiction if you're winning. The only time people talk yeah. about gambling addictions is when you when those people yeah. are losing, right? Yeah. The people that are like um, at those gambling addictions, um, like seminars, you know, or classes or whatever, yeah. it's, those aren't winners. You know, the, the people that are winning aren't in those. They're people that are getting crushed or in them. So that's why, you know, if those people that are losing, they need to get, they need to find a, a good handicapper and, and go with their plays, stop making their own. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, Bolt, uh, I mean, if you want to, if you want to plug any of your other social medias in here, or whatever, and, you know, just kind of do your thing to kind of close out this interview. Cause um, we've, you know, we're coming up on the four, I actually, I think 40 minute mark, which is good here. We usually, we usually only do about 30 minute interviews, but this is a, this is definitely a really good one. So yeah, go ahead and just plug your social medias or your, you know, your podcast again, anything you want. Sure. Sure. Thanks. Uh, Yeah. You can listen to our podcast. Uh, Like I said, my brother and I, we do a podcast all um, typically all from July all the way through the Super Bowl. And then we'll do a little March Madness and some NBA. Uh, it's called Bolt Brady and his bro. And then you can also find us on social media at Twitter and Instagram at Bolt Brady Picks. All right. Sounds good. Well, there you guys go. Go f- give him a follow on all of those and, and you know, uh, follow his socials. And yeah, it was great having you on Br- Bolt. You know, we, uh, we really appreciate your insight on all the in in-depth betting stuff, because we don't, we honestly like, like Matt knows a lot about betting. I know, like, I sort of know about betting, but I'm not old enough to bet. So it's like, I don't do it illegally. So I always tell our audience, like, you know, I, I don't have that much insight. So yeah, it was good to have somebody on here that, that can actually go, you know, further in depth with it and, 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 you know, give our audience more of a, more of a, a sense of what it's like to really be into this kind of thing. So yeah, thank thank you so much for coming on and hopefully we can, you know, maybe get some going again in the future because it would be, yeah, it was, it was really fun today. Yeah. No gotta have you on during, have you on during football season, right, right approach in there. We'll, uh, we'll definitely get some best bets in there.
All yeah. right, sounds good, guys. No problem at all. So let's transition to the MLB a little bit. It today's opening day. Um, and, and so I think that we kind of skipped over this a little bit because I, I didn't really mention it in any other podcast. I did. A, I, I, we had like three or four segments on the MLB lockout and they didn't actually say anything when the MLB lockout was ending. Most of that was because March Madness was going on during the same exact time. And so, you know, we, we had a lot going on there. Um, but yeah, it's good that MLB opening day happened again, not something that is, is super crazy. Um, and as I said in the beginning, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, Hayden said I was itching to get to this. I'm not sick. I'm not exactly itching to get to it. I just wanted to address it to say that it's finally over the lockouts over and that, and that baseball starting. I'm not, again, I'm not going to be following baseball. Well, okay. I follow baseball because I bet on it. And I also, you know, I like to, I just like to see what the teams are doing. Right. But also I'm not like, into it into it until the playoffs and even then it's still tough because like the playoffs are in october you know what else is in october football and so you know like that's kind of takes over my priority right so it's kind of like i don't know whatever um but yeah today was opening day there were a lot of moves kind of you know towards the end of the season there the dodgers are, are once again the overwhelming favorite um you know they lost guys like scherzer and and um and uh shoot who else did they I forgot who else they, there was the, there was the one big name they traded away, but either way, um, you know, they, they still have Mookie Betts. They still have Chris Taylor. They still have, uh, you know, all of the Blake Trine and like all the, all the great bullpen pitchers they had last year, all the great hitters, you know, are, are, are still there uh, and are still back. So I think they're going to kind of run through their division. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they win the, if they win the NL um, obviously got upset by the Braves last year, but uh, yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting there. I think the AL is going to be a lot more interesting though, um, because you have teams like, you know, the Red Sox and Yankees who get a lot of hype, but haven't really put it together in the last few years. Um, and so I think that, you know, there can be some surprising teams uh, like I think like the Blue Jays coming out of division. I'm actually high on the Blue Jays this year. Um, the Rays obviously are always able to somehow pull together a, a magical season out of absolutely zero salary use. So, uh, so we'll see how they do. Um, but that's kind of a stack division up there too. Um, and I think the white Sox are really kind of the, you know, they're, they're their favorite to come out of the AL this year. I, I have hope in them. I just think they don't have enough playoff experience. Every time they get to the playoffs, they kind of just get upset right in the first couple rounds. So we'll see if they can actually get through it this year and, and make a run, uh, you know, doing that type of stuff. I think that the most interesting thing though, is it's not going to get covered at all, but just the amount of teams that are like tanking, like you don't hear about tanking in baseball because it's not as a well-reported sport. And, and there's so many teams and like, there's not star like even on the NBA, right? Like in the NBA level, like, yes, teams are tanking, but you still have star power that are on those teams that you can talk about. Oh, this thing happened to this guy who's a star on the thunder or the Kings or whatever. Right. But like with baseball, you don't know any of the players who are on these teams that are tanking. And so they just keep getting worse. And it's just, it's, it's crazy that like, this is allowed to happen in professional sports where it's like, I don't know. I, I heard a good analogy last this past week. This is the last thing and I'll finish up here um, is essentially like, like tanking in sports and especially baseball is literally like, imagine if you went to a restaurant who is like, this is my business. And they literally just served you like a piece of lettuce on a plate and you, you order a chicken parm. Right. And they give you a piece of lettuce and you're like, and, and you're like, I didn't order this. And they're like, yeah, but that's what we're giving you. Like, that's what, that's what this whole tanking thing is in baseball. And it's so, it's like, so true. Cause you think about it, like, this is a business worth billions and billions of dollars. And they are literally just producing a piece of lettuce on a plate when you're expecting so much more, or even just 
two pieces of lettuce. No, you're only getting one. So the that's kind of the, the interesting analogy that I heard this week that I think is really funny and very telling about a sport that is already losing all of its fans. And, and when you have teams that are trying to lose on top of that, it just makes it worse. So I don't know if Hayden has any comments. I don't really expect him to. But uh, either way, that's kind of my... My baseball pitch, we probably won't talk about baseball, baseball pitch. How about that? Baseball pitch. Get that. Um, yeah, we probably won't talk about baseball very much in the next couple months anyway. So, yeah, well, all I have to say about baseball is that I farted twice while Matt was talking about that. So that's that's the only thing there. All right. Moving on to our fun segment for the day. Matt, do you have your, your wrong man's of the week? Because I don't see anything. I don't see anything on the dock here. Yeah. Um. It, it was, it was, I had one that I was going to do last week, but we ended up, we didn't get to it last week. Actually, wait, no, we, well, we didn't get to it on no, Tuesday. Yeah, we, didn't. we didn't get to it on Tuesday, but we also didn't get to it last week. So yeah, either way, um, it's kind of a cop out, but North Carolina is wrong for what they did to Duke, man. I'm, I'm not going to stop talking about it. They went into Cameron Indoor Stadium in the last game of the regular season and they gave it to Duke and then they turned around and in the biggest game of potentially both of these programs histories, North Carolina came in and gave it to Duke again. They like coach K's legacy is tarnished. The whole, the argument between who, which North Carolina school separated by 10, 10 miles and, and who've won a combined 30 championships and like 50 final fours. It's over now, baby. North Carolina's it. So that's, that's my, you're wrong man of the week. Again, it's kind of a cop up, but it's just the, the magnitude of what happened in that game and how it transpired. And the fact that North Carolina was an eight seed Duke was a two seed. They were the favorite to win the championship. They have first five, their five first round draft picks in their starting lineup. UNC was like, cool, we got you. We're going to put some, we're going to put up some points and we're going to outboard you on the back on the backboard. Um, I loved it. I, I loved every second of it. And obviously, you know, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not like a super big Duke hater. I just, there was just so much hype and there was too much hype. And just with, I, I think a lot of, a lot of contradicting that coach K was doing and stuff. So I'm, I'm happy that UNC won um, and, and, and they're wrong for it because now they just ended all of anything, any argument whatsoever about this, about this basketball rivalry um, is completely done at the hands of this eight seed uh, who, who, who won a regular season matchup in a final four game to completely solidify uh, and crush the dreams of all the Duke fans, including coach K's potentially legacy and career. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a pretty good one. Again, that's, you know, it was kind of a cop out answer, but that, that is right. I, that's definitely one that I would go to, but for mine, I'm not even really going to go sports because yeah, there hasn't really been much sports other than March madness. And then, yeah, there's, the, you know, there was the first round of the masters today. And by the time we post this, there'll be even more of the masters. So I'm sure there's going to be a year wrong man somewhere that happens either on Friday or you know, midway through the Saturday round when this is posted or whatever. Speaking of, I think we're going to try to get this this um, episode posted like Saturday morning, maybe so that it's a little bit earlier than it would be if we recorded on Saturday. But that's besides the point. Anyway, my you're wrong man is going to be Lil Baby rapper. He is wrong for the outfit for screwing up his outfit in one of his Instagram, one of his recent Instagram posts. OK, so if you guys have Instagram, which I'm sure you do. Most of you probably do. If you have Instagram, go over to Lil Baby's page and look at his third most recent posts. It's pretty, it's pretty noticeable because honestly, it's like the only 
picture pretty much with color um, in his past nine posts, pretty much. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's very noticeable. And he's wearing a green Yankees hat. He's wearing a green Yankees jacket that's really, really cool. It's really drippy. And he's wearing some white pants that I, I think he usually wears. And then he's wearing these, like, green, like, light green rain boots. <laughs> it's, I, think, I think they're some kind of – they're probably some kind of Balenciaga, you know, designer-type shoes or whatever. But, like, they're bright green and they're boots, and they don't have any kind of laces. They look like they're rubber. And it's it's just – it's really bad. Like, he looks like one of those army – like, those toy army so- soldiers that you played with when you were little – that are just like that just are, are all green and like are super plain but yeah but he i mean he has the chains on the 4pf chains on and he's got you know the cool yeah the cool green hat and the cool mlb uh jacket with like the new york oh yeah supreme logo and the new york yankees logo on the back it's really cool and then he just screwed it all up with the with the boots um yeah those are those are really bad i'm probably going to um, post this on TikTok and and put up like a little picture of it because uh, yeah it this needs to be taken attention to um, or taken attention of paid attention to that's what it is but yeah that about wraps up the episode thank you guys for listening um, again this is kind of, you know a little bit outdated I guess if you if if you would but it's only I mean it's only two days so it's not really that much um, so yeah I hope you guys enjoy this episode we'll be back on tuesday with another episode and we will actually have my roommate will on for that episode to talk about the masters because will's a really big golf guy will's actually going to the masters uh tomorrow well this will be friday he's going to the masters on friday and he's going to stay there for saturday and sunday those rounds obviously and then and then he's coming back so it'll be really cool to hear from him you know like what it's like to actually be at the masters and obviously he'll give some talk about the winner and and what he thought about you know how the guys played and everything so yeah it'll be cool to the to discuss the masters on tuesday that'll be really fun and then i'm thinking i'm thinking that like after the really after tuesday's episode we're gonna have we're gonna have draft like that's i mean nfl draft is gonna be the big topic from there from there there on out so we're gonna have az on for a mock draft probably we're honestly probably gonna break it up into two big episodes um, definitely going to have AZ on for both because he, that's his thing. I mean, he, his, the draft is like the draft to him is like our March madness. Like we just love, he just loves talking about it. And he, you know, he spends hours and hours on his mock draft. So that'd be really cool to hear from him. But in the meantime, you guys enjoy our master's talk and enjoy the rest of your weekend and we'll catch you on Tuesday.